Welcome to Hearthside Salons, talks and conversations to feed your creative fire. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you a guest worth listening to. Visual artist Silvia Gallini comes from a strict family in the north of Italy, where she was expected to become a dentist and join her father's practice. Her dad actually told her, dreams are not allowed. Today, she shares with us how she found the courage to defy all of that and the winding path that brought her here to LA, where she's a wildly imaginative image maker and art teacher. She talks about the magic of mentors and casting off the curse of the words, you can't. But the real magic of her worldview is how she gives herself and others permission to make mistakes. I started these because I just wanted, um, A, for us all to find a way to connect and be inspired and, and really kind of be in our creativity. And, and I know that so many of us want to create things or we want to try new things, but there's, there's, you know, there's always these barriers and these walls. And um, I met Sylvia at a in a line to get into an Italian movie at the Italian Film Festival here in LA. I I mean it's got to be at least fifteen years ago, and there was just something about her. You know when you meet those people where you're just like, there's just something I need to know this person. Yeah, it's a little love. It's like I need to know this person. I need to just I have to have them in my life. So that's that's what happened. We've been friends ever since, and at that point I feel like you were sort of just starting. Oh yeah. You, you were just starting on this journey. So um, I wanted to talk with you about being an artist and be, your journey here to America and like all of it. And um, so like, take us back. You're living in, in the north of Italy with your family and there were certain expectations of you, correct? Yes, yes. I, in fact, when I, I was thinking when I met you 14 years ago or 15 years ago, I must have just arrived here. Yeah. And I don't think I was even beginning to take an art class. Yeah, um, I think that happened after we met. That happened after we, after we met, yes. Yeah, no, when I, when I was in Italy, some of, some of you, some of you know a little bit my story. Um, I grew up with a very authoritarian father, to say the least. Um, I mean, you could say it was a pretty traditional family, except, um, you know, my, my mother had very little say. My father was the only decision maker. Um, and my mother was a Dutch free spirit. And my dad was not. He was a very, I don't know, I think he was a very jealous man. Mm. Um, but he might have, he, he must have also been blind because he didn't realize that I really was an artist and that I wanted to do art. So he really insisted that I studied science and chemistry in high school. And, you know, whenever, you know, I had high grades in the areas that I loved, like English and literature and Italian, and he didn't care about those grades. It was all about what about chemistry? And I had the worst grades in chemistry. I mean, it was ridiculous. I was always, I was with the, my high grades and what I loved and the super low grades in math and physics and chemistry. I barely made it like just to survive and move on to the next year. Um, and there was, he wouldn't hear it. I just couldn't study art. Uh, he didn't believe, he kept saying, you cannot have dreams in this life. You know, he, I don't know, he must have been very sad, very uh, disenchanted with life. And it's weird because he's also a man with a strong aesthetic vision. Mm. So 
I don't know, but I, I did grow up surrounded by art in the sense that we only had furniture from the 1600s in our home. Like my father was obsessed and church, church furniture from the 1600s. So wow. enormous chandeliers, choir benches, and everything had to be either from Tuscany or Piedmont. He was like super obsessed with these two styles of Baroque, wow. Baroque furniture. And if you think about it, incidentally, what was going on in the 1600s in churches? They didn't have the best energy, those furnitures. Like it, it, it wasn't the best vibe. It was the Inquisition, right? So for example, near the bed, next to the bed, we each had, everybody had kneelers, you know, like church kneelers instead of little tables. I mean, thinking wow. about it, like, well, what was going on in his mind? I don't know. And above his bed, he had this Saint Sebastian, which is the saint that is pierced by arrows, yeah. bleeding thorax above the bed. So no wonder my mother left as soon as she could. Oh, bless her. <laughs> you know, which was when my, her fourth child was 18. So she okay. left a few years ago, basically. But still, so I grew up in a little bit of a dark environment that way. Um, but I was very lucky because I just knew in my heart that my father was wrong and that I don't know what happened to my mother, that she was in that situation, but it was very unfortunate. And ultimately, I could not save her. I could not stay there for her, even though she really badly wanted me to. And so I started going my own way. And I had to, um, there was no, in my, my father's mind, there was no doubt that I should be a dentist like him. That's why he wanted me to study science. Because I was the one, I'm the first of four, I was the one, but everybody else after me was also supposed to do the same, uh, work with him and share his office in this little provincial northern Italian town. Um, so at this point, I had never painted or drawn, <laughs> but I was writing. I found a way through writing. I really loved stories. I really, I really loved to write. And I, I won a couple of local, little, very li uh, little local uh, short, short stories competitions. And I thought, okay, I'm not going to be able to study art. My dad will never let me get into the arts academy, nor would I ever get into it. Because um, in Italy, some of you might know, uh, high school is highly specialized. So if you study science, then you're gonna, it's going to be very hard to get into um, art. Or actually, it's impossible. Yeah. It's uh, the equivalent have... for us of like, you'd already have to pick your major in high yeah. school instead of when you get to college. Yeah, which you don't have to do, right? Yeah, we don't, have, we don't have to pick until we get to college. And even then, you can sort of be undeclared for a few years. So the idea of having to choose that path it's at the cool. beginning of high school is insane to me. You're effectively 13, because the year before high school, you have to choose whether you're going to study classics or, you know, science or languages. Um, but I was, I was lucky that way because I went to an international school because there is a European school in every, Italian, in every European country. And the one in Italy happens to be in Varese, in my hometown. So thank wow. goodness I was surrounded by French friends and English friends, you know, not American friends, but like Dutch friends, friends from all over. And they were all going to go back to their home country to study. So I had that open mindedness, like, okay, you can go and study somewhere else. You don't have to be stuck in Varese. Yeah. Um, so that, that was really fortunate. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I couldn't get into arts and I thought, okay, I love writing. Uh, I discovered the film director Lucchino Visconti during a spectacular um, Italian literature class when I was 17 with my still super best friend, Patrizia Costa. She was my favorite high school teacher and she introduced me to the films of neorealism. 
and uh, you know, like Visconti and De Sica, and I, I know I know there's a couple of film lovers in in this uh, in this group. And I was just blown away that even without being able to paint or draw, you could paint stories with film. And my mind just started going, well, I'm going to make films. This is what I, can, I cannot draw, I cannot paint, but I can make films with writing somehow. Like the mechanics really were really obscure, but I knew I would find a way. And so the job of convincing my dad started. And oh my gosh, it took many yeah, nights. How did, that was my that was my next question was how did that go over when you're like dad I'm not going to be a dentist oh he wouldn't take it he wouldn't take it I mean he would be really fiercely um cruel he would say that I would never be able to make a living that I would never he would have to support me his whole life that I had to use my mind that this was a time where dreams because I was like but I have a dream and he was like this is a historical time where dreams are not allowed he always said this thing that this is a historical time where dreams are, are not allowed. And, and it's I remember so fascinating th that he thinks that art doesn't come from the mind, is not using the, your mind. That's You're right. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it was probably a mixture of protection because like all bullies, he's a very scared person. So he was scared for me. Yeah. Um, he grew up really poor. You know, of course he had a pretty harsh background and he... I don't know, he really believed and believes in materialism, and um, but, but only in that, <laughs> only in that. And it's, there's nothing wrong with loving beautiful things and wanting beautiful homes and beautiful places, but there needs to be somewhere, some energy that fuels it, whatever yeah. you get it from. It cannot be just for the sake of having furniture from the 1600s, and that's it. <laughs> so anyway... He also was not my problem, I realized, although he also really wanted me to fix him. Well, yeah. And the, I mean, it really took a lot of fairy godmothers and fairy godfathers to get away from him. And later I discovered fairy tales and union fairy tales and some really resonated with me. Um, and I realized I really needed to leave my father's house. I really needed to leave the castle. Yeah. and go off on my adventure by myself. And I had no example, really. My siblings were terrified for me, um, but I did have some really magic protectors and uh, helpers. I, I really do believe in fairy godmothers yes. and um, wizard godfathers. So one of them was my wizard godfather, who happened to be my dad's best friend. Wow. Um, but he became... Um, he gave me this, a number of giant gifts uh, along, along my life. And one of them was his apartment in Milan. When I finally settled on studying literature, uh, Italian letters, it's called Lettere in Milan, which was just an hour away. It was like a tiny step. You know, in Italy, we don't really leave our homes when we go to college. We stay at home. But I figured, okay, what is it? Doesn't have a university, thank God. Now it does, but it didn't at the time. So Milan is cool enough and it's an hour away and uh, hopefully I can get to live there somehow. Uh, but of course I wasn't allowed to live there initially. I, um, I had to go back and forth uh, with the train. But when I showed that I started getting really good grades, then my godfather stepped in and said to my dad, Guido, come on she's good let's you know she can stay let's try she can stay in my apartment and it was an office it was um the legal <laughs> this is italian way he has a company uh, uh, a series of factories and this was like the legal office 
even though it was just like a little, you know, garçonnier, little apartment in Milan. And so I had to pick up the phone. The phone would ring in this little studio and I would say, answer like with the name of the company and pretend I was a secretary <laughs> and take notes and then like say where they had to call because legally that was the official. But it was lovely. It was like teeny tiny, you know, one room. The kitchen was just a little, you know, electric stove. And then there was a bathroom and it was in the back of this building. And it overlooked the back of a number of buildings with an abandoned church in the middle, thinking about it with all grass and weeds and trees growing. So nobody else could see this building except the inside of all these other buildings. Um, and, then, and then my freedom started. That was like the first step of, of many steps. Little by little, I really believe that a journey is made of yes. a million little teeny tiny daily steps. I didn't know that that first step eventually would leave me lead me to where I am today it was like some you believing in you and then finally Here. someone out like one other person believing in you yes I desperately needed someone to believe in me and wherever I found someone who did then I made that work wonders you know a little bit went a very long way because as soon as somebody said oh I love this that you did then I you know you can do this and then I um you know, for example, then at Milan, when I was 19, 20, um, I started believing that I could make movies. And, uh, and then I met my next mentor. And my next mentor was somebody who admitted me in an um, MFA program before I was graduated. So wow. that, was a that was another godfather. You know, he really believed that I could, uh, that I could do it. So because it was a, uh, a two-year program, he, you know, I, he didn't want me to wait two years. So he accepted me and I graduated in the middle of this uh, screenwriting and producing a beautiful master's program in Milan which is now completely in English and it's huge oh. it's international it's a beautiful program at the Catholic University um, and from there thanks to him then I went to Rome then I started believing wow I could I could live in Rome I could go to Rome and uh, somehow uh, get into the movie business uh, but the thing is I was learning the material steps of what I wanted to do, but my inner creative voice was still very blocked. So I was learning how a script, how you write a script and how you analyze a script and what a, yeah, key elements of a story are, but I didn't know what I wanted to say or who I was or how to use whatever it is that I have. So that um, didn't happen until later. At this point, do you think of yourself, you're, you're heading towards this goal and you're, you're seeing yourself as a possibly a filmmaker. Um, do you then make it to, to Rome or did you come here? Did you skip Rome and come here? No, no, I didn't make it to Rome. And that was another, that, that's where I met my most giant godmother. Um, I, uh, I, I got a, an internship in Rome and um, my, my mentor for the internship was this amazing woman role mother female producer in the independent uh, film world in Rome, Francesca Longardi. Not only she was my mentor, but she also had a little loft in Campo dei Fiori in Rome, inside her apartment that she would rent to me for a very small rate. Oh and God. so I ended up moving in with her in the center of Rome. And my life was suddenly ancient beams and posters of Fellini movies everywhere because her father was the press, um, press agent of Fellini and her uncle. He had a press agency and they were Fellini's press agents. So 
there was somebody who was just like 10 years older than me. She was 30, 31, 32, and she was huge and she was kind. And that's where I realized you can be huge and kind. You can be an accomplished woman and be beautiful and be kind and have a lot of power. And she blew my mind. Oh my gosh. That's to me like where you see the path forward when you start yes. to have a role model like that. There I, I had my role mother, 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 <laughs> model and mother, except I didn't exactly, I didn't have what she had because she had come to LA. She had studied, she's super efficient. She came to LA, she studied at USC producing and then went back and instantly became a 27 head of production of this major Italian company. I didn't want that path. You know, that was not, she was, um, she was a creative producer, but she was not an artist. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. I, my only, I only follow my star. Do you know what I mean? Like if you tell me here's a million dollars, but you won't have any freedom. I'm like, wait wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) What about my freedom? I really need to follow something else. It's, uh, um, you know, it's something I, I realized and it's a bit of a problem because, I could have easily um, settled otherwise and had a career that was more sure. practical. But uh, it's a journey, right? It's, it's a journey. So I'm, 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 I'm on my journey. Um, but yeah, it was wonderful with her. I could tell her about my dad and how he was treating me and how he was calling me and all these things. And uh, she was the first one who truly, um, uh, I don't know, who truly, like, put me on the, on, on the main street as an adult. Cause at that point I was 20, it was 2004, I was 24. Um, and um, she told me, honey, you have to go to America. You have to change the way you think. You have to go to America. You have to meet amazing people that are gonna believe in you. You're gonna do, you have to do things that are bigger than what you can ever imagine. And then if you want, you can come back. But Italy is too small. Like you can't just stay here now. It's a, she, she always said, it's a, it's a dinosaur's country. Everybody in power is old. Um, it's all men everywhere. You know, now it's different. But at the time, it was very much... Uh, there was a very long... An old man's world. Yes. And there was very much that, like, anyone who was innovative and creative and really had a sparking kind of thing left the country. So the people that yes. could have changed things yeah. weren't staying there to change them. They were leaving because it's so... Pesante. It's just so dinosaur weight on your back trying so to change true. the culture. So. It's so true. And I wanted to see it for myself. And I loved Rome so much um, that I was like, but I want to stay here with you. And so I applied. I applied for, you know, we have a national film school in Italy. It's called uh, National Center for Cinematography, a Scuola Nazionale di Cinema, Cinema National School. And it's where, you know, whatever kind of film like big school directors we have went to you know Marco Bellocchio, Bernardo Bertolucci, uh, Vittorio Storaro, the cinematographer like all the big ones in the 70s and 80s went to that school and it still has a a very big name and so I applied and I found myself in this giant room one day taking a test it was like the entry test for screenwriters and directors Um, and um, and this was the test and I had my friend Francesca at home saying, darling, you have to go to America. What are you doing? You know, don't, you're going to be disappointed. I'm like, no, 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 I want to try it. I got into the first selection. I want to try it. So 
the test for future Italian uh, screenwriters and uh, directors, and this was 2004, the year I was in Rome, was 20 pages of names. So you had somebody like, there was Jesus Christ, the Buddha, then there were politicians like Mussolini, Hitler, contemporary politicians like Berlusconi, philosophers, right-wing, left-wing, you, you name it, writers, poets, names popes of the middle ages it was 20 pages of names and guess what you had to do to show your general culture you had to grade them and that was the exam you didn't have to write anything explain anything there was only the place for the number oh my god i mean i could cry thinking about it now like how upsetting that was that's, you know that's, what, that's not about creativity at all that's just about opinion and politics. And you can't even explain it because for example, you could write, you could love, like in my case, Frederick Nietzsche, but I know he's a complete mental person. I mean, and it doesn't mean I'm a Nazi. I, I love his writing and his, you know, abstract ideas, but I don't, it doesn't mean that I follow his thought and that, you know, and that politically right. I agree with him. So I remember there was this very cute guy next to me and uh, I looked at him and I said, let's go. And he said, you're right, this is the best. And, uh, and we left. We didn't even do it. Because what were we going to do? Yeah. You know? I remember I started grading some, some, but then it really got to the popes of the Middle Ages. And I was like, what do they want me to write? Like, there, you know, for example, there was Dante's Pope, one of, the, uh, one of the popes that Dante really condemned in the Divine Comedy because mm. he was totally corrupted. And he hired, all his, he hired in the church all his nephews and stuff. Okay, I'm going to say that he's bad, but, but he's a pope. So maybe you're going to think that I'm like, I don't know. Anyway, it, it really, it, it, there was really no, no right way to do it. And um, there was a strike that day and me and my friend, I just remember his name, Pierpaolo. Me and Pierpaolo could not take the subway. And so we walked for hours and I totally fell in love with him on, the, on, that, on that walk. But yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't see him again after that. And so we, we just, we chatted and we were like, oh, we're going to do something different. This is bullshit. This is so corrupt. And then I heard the same thing from my, from my friend at home. She was like, girl, you got to go to America. I told you. Um, and that's what convinced me. So how did, how did that conversation go over with your parents, with your you dad? Know, that was a total magic moment. Like my dad said yes, um, with a lot of conditions. Uh, <laughs> small detail I promised I would only say stay six months <laughs> uh, 14 years later so that mostly convinced him and also my friend the producer was very influential and so she had a say like she, she you know she, she I think she talked to him or she wrote to him she was able to convince him you weren't just some some kid off on a lark but you actually had talent and potential exactly and I remember something else she got me a major grant she alone she got me a major loan so my dad didn't have to pay for all the money up front initially uh so all these things combined and uh, a big breakup um so i also really needed it was the right time to to to, to move away um and in fact during those first six months my, my family came to see me uh it was supposed to be kind of a long vacation i was supposed to take just um I didn't have the credentials to get into any MFA program. I could only do some extension course. 
So I did UCL Extension, the film, the, the film program there. Um, and it was clear that I needed to do more than six months. Then, you know, little step by little step. And then I applied for AFI and then I got in. And at that point, more convincing of my dad. Um, and that was my, my filmmaking story, you know, and, uh, and so, at that point, yeah. Oh, so, well, when, when did, then did you pivot from thinking you wanted to follow <laughs> the world of film to then, wait a minute, did it start with a drawing class or an, uh, an idea or? Yeah, so, so pretty much immediately, as soon as I landed in LA and right after I met you, I think, um, I was going through the UCLA extension catalog and it just stayed open in this beginning figure drawing course. And it caught my attention. It said, you don't need any experience. Uh, come and try the first class. And something very strong, you know, at this point, everybody who could stop me was across the ocean. And I thought, I'll try it. You know, I, I, I'll try it. I didn't even think too much of it. I just, just went. And that was the meeting of a giant super mentor joe blaustein and he's really the next you know virgil if you know a little bit the uh, divine the divine comedy because he became my guide here um he was very old then and he was already my gosh 80 plus and now he's 98 and he's still amazing and going and teaching art and um, he looked like a, he looked so ancient. He looked like he was from the Renaissance. And on that first class, which was a live figure model uh, drawing class. So actually the model undressed and I was like, oh, oh my gosh. You know, I was so, I didn't know that she would be completely naked. I really truly had never had a, a, a class like that. Um, and I, what I did was horrible. I could not draw. And I was so angry that I could not draw. I'm so sad that I could not draw. I think I, I cried or stormed out on that first class um, because it, I realized it meant so much to me and I was so behind. Um, and he told me either on that very first class or soon afterwards that I was an artist. He professed these words um, that I, I believe are really important to hear. Uh, and uh, once he said that, I was like, um, this is really important to me. Uh, this needs to be a priority. So that's when I started following all his classes and it was not a picnic. Uh, before I did anything decent, years went by. I just had to trust that I was banging against a brick wall and one hammer at a time, eventually something would break through, but it was more frustration than other. That, that was really, I think that's when some sort of artistic faith <laughs> developed. Um, and that's how I could get through film school because film school was everything but artistic. It was yeah. super technical mm. and very masculine. I was, there were three women, me and two other girls in our directing, pro I got into the directing program, which is what I wanted to do. It was me, two other girls, and the rest was all guys. And they were all so young. They were all like in their early 20s and they were super, you know, they were everything that I wasn't. They were business-like and competent and practical and they communicated clearly. And I was like, oh, Bertolucci, of <laughs> poetry. I don't give a fuck. I don't know what the goal of this character is, you know? 
what do they dream of? What do they really need? And they don't know it, you know? So it was, but I, anyway, I, I learned what they wanted me to learn, but it wasn't inspiring. So my drawing and painting was in the wings. It was in the back, um, in the background. And uh, as soon as I finished, it was, it was, uh, film school was really hard. I have to say, uh, I, I don't regret it. I'm happy I have done it. And it was an amazing school to do it. And I also had some filmmaking mentors then. But I didn't, I didn't have my voice. I wasn't ready to start um, making films. To put it really, really, you know, simply, I, um, I, I didn't have my artist. I didn't know what I wanted to say. Whereas when I had a model in front of me, somehow some, some strength, some woman strength, some woman something, some identity, uh, other than the model that I was painting came through. Um, I, I believe now because now, you know, your voice evolves and what you like and what you paint, what you make, what you write, what you cook, everything evolves. Uh, looking back, I think I was painting some, um, uh, some, some creatures, some women, goddesses, some fairies that would help me keep painting um there are some of them are still with me today here and some i sold um and uh but i, I still at that point i didn't think i could ever make a career in, in in you know i didn't think anybody would ever buy my my work i was still very confused i have to say that one of the i realized later one of the big things i realized was that i was often in a fog and it wasn't until I could see that I was in a fog, you know, an emotional fog, I could see, wow, there's a way out. But mm. growing up in a family where my identity was constantly crushed, I truly, it, it's, it's a struggle. I mean, to this day, I still have days when I'm like, oh, where am I? You know, but thankfully now I have a lot of tools. Well, I was going to ask you about like, when did you first, when were you first, I mean, when Joe said it to you, but yeah. when did you first say, I am an artist? Like, that's who I am. That's a really good question. Um, I, I would say that that was more a sensation than something I said to myself. Uh, I remember a feeling one day when I was in our class, which happened to be at my, my teacher's house in Topanga, it's not even a house, it's like a wooden shack uh, in the forest by a creek. Wow. And there's no, the living room is an art studio. There's only easels and you're, there's a deck and squirrels and birds. It's like really like a, a wizard's house. He's really like, a, I don't know, like a druid of some sort. <laughs> um, and I remember being sitting, you know, I was sitting in the band, on the bench drawing the model it was a saturday morning i took his saturday morning classes and i still do i just took one on zoom last week <laughs> directly from topanga um and i remember he brought me coffee he makes and he still does make the best cappuccino because he's been to italy and he's been to tuscany and he's, he he loves the, uh, italian things and i remember this feeling of home like oh my mm. god i'm at home like the, the, and he was playing shostakovich in the background it was just a number of things that made, and I was drawing with charcoal. This is home, like this is right. 
I, I don't know where this leads, but this moment is right. So wow. that's amazing. And like, how did you, because I know we've talked a lot about getting past doubting oneself as an artist. How did you come up with make the make mistakes as your sort of ethos for your art labs? I mean, that was the, because I was, um, I was so hard on myself and I didn't know, I didn't know it. I was just trying to draw and um, nothing seemed to come out of what I wanted to draw. It was ridiculous. And I had all these horrible uh, adjectives in my head for myself. And it was, it was Joe. Joe told me, you know, you're your worst self enemy. You're your, your own worst, sorry. You're, you are your own worst, worst enemy, enemy yeah. right? And I didn't understand at, at first what he meant. And then I realized that I was in my way. Um, and I observed other people in the class. By the way, so many people in his class are just free artists because he has this gift of liberating one's, um, one's own voice. That's why I made a documentary about him because I wanted to try and capture this, this gift that he had. Everybody painted the way they painted. He wasn't really teaching anything and yet he was teaching everything. Hmm. Um, and so... So I realized, okay, I'm doing something that's really rowing against myself here. And it has to do with feeling so bad about myself. Um, and um, it really helped one day when he said, you know what? Because he was pretty desperate with me. He's like, stop it. You know, stop being so harsh. I would cry for so many lessons. I would go out on the deck and cry because I felt so bad. I felt I was, I sucked. I was hopeless. I really felt horrible. I had my dad's voices in my head all the time, all the time, even though I didn't want them and I could hear them, but yeah. they were still there. They so stick yeah, they really do stick. Um, and so he, he told me, you know what, let's do something now so ugly that we're going to throw it out. Okay. Can you do that for the next 20 minutes? We're going to throw it out. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I remember feeling this liberation. Like, I don't have to do anything. I just have to play. And then I realized I had the experience of what it feels like to play. And then he said, then the things he said started clicking. I remember he said, this is educated play. And then I realized, wow, so I'm supposed to have fun. It's not supposed to be so hard. I'm supposed to have fun. And somehow then later, walk back and in time learn how to organize mm. colors and shapes so once i had that experiential knowledge of play uh then the make a mess let's make mistakes stuck with me and when very recently somebody asked me to to, to teach a, a drawing class i only thought it made sense to call it make mistakes because you know i still i don't you know um, I think that's the most important thing I could ever teach anyone. Absolutely. Not I mean, in Italian. This is for my Italian students here, not for Italian. For art. <laughs> Language. <laughs> Different story in it with grammar. Yeah, no, it's, um, it, that's what really resonated with me. I mean, like I've known you for all these years and I have always wanted, like my thing is like, I can't draw like all my, um, all my storyboards for anything I direct, my whole crew always makes fun of me because I can't draw. Like, that's a fact. And, you know, and then just, I realized how much I just sort of pulled that around me like a cape that I can't, mm. you know? And then it wasn't until we were talking and 
you inspired me to just like it like exactly what you're saying do something you're going to throw away do something yeah. ugly that i started to be able to play and i just want it's like that i think i'm sure that's a common experience that so many of us get told at such a young age that you're not good at this you can't do it oh yeah and we just go okay i guess i can't and we believe it's it. incredible what we like there's something magical about the words that come into our ears um especially as children they they become beliefs and so you almost have to actually you quite literally have to counteract them when you grow up um yeah. i have um where is it well of course oh here it is i mean guys don't tell anybody but this is the stuff i have to tell myself oh, oh. written on a note yeah. i handle all my affairs with poisoned ease i am on the right path of success love and abundance and peace of mind i am doing wonderfully I need to tell myself these things every day. Wow. Well, and it and it really resonates with me too what you said about yourself earlier when you saw your mentor that you could be beautiful and kind and successful because that's like I've always really I think that's one of the first things I was drawn to you as a friend because you were so kind and so beautiful. And I was like, "Oh, here's this beautiful Italian girl who's like not you know, she's not looking down on me because I'm just a dumb American. I'm like, you know, it was just like, oh, wow, this is so cool. We can be friends and we can talk. And then like, you have yeah, that, like you are course. that person. So I love that's like one of the, one of the character exercises we do in, in designing characters. Thank you. Is like, you know, the thing you most admire is truly the thing that you, that you are, is the, 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 the secret that yes. comes out is like that that's yes. who this person really is and I think that's who you are if you spot it you got it what um what's your favorite thing about teaching wow I never thought I would teach it's so funny because now I enjoy it so much it doesn't matter what it is I just enjoy it so much um I I, I don't know for a long time uh now it's it's been what nine years i've been teaching italian for nine years and for the longest time i kept thinking they're gonna fire me they're gonna realize that i suck like they, i'm not really teaching like they, they're not they're gonna realize that i'm not really teaching anything but then i kept hearing my my teacher joe that's what he says all the time he said that on saturday he said guys i'm just sitting here i'm not even teaching you anything and you're doing beautiful work so and also I met the most extraordinary people teaching Italian. Like my students become my friends and then we take trips together and it's, it just becomes family, truly. Yeah. Um, there's an affinity, people who want to study with you, somehow there's already part of them that is already in your family. Yes. Um, it's, uh, I've now realized that. So what I, what I enjoy is um, that we're, I mean, I'm learning so much as I'm teaching. I often have to say, wait, <laughs> let me open the book, let the kid up, and I also learn as, as we go. Um, and so I, I love that because I love learning and I love the human contact. Um, but mostly that we, we, with every student, you start a journey. Uh, it's a personal journey and it's a learning journey. It's, it's almost like what you're teaching is just an excuse to have that journey with a person. That's wonderful. That's what I, that's what I think. It happens Given so that times. you had to overcome so much doubt from your family and yourself and, you know, this girl who should have been a dentist in Varese is now here <laughs> as an artist in, in LA. 
what would you say to your 13 year old self? That's a really good question. Wow. Um, or what do you wish someone would have said to you? I like later on, I remember like my Francesca, my mentor in Rome, she first named the little voice. Mm. She said, always listen to the little voice. Mm. Um, and I knew what she meant, but somehow, somehow I was already doing that. That was a, like a reinforcement. So I don't know how it's possible, but that little voice, I always knew somehow that that was the right thing to listen to. I often think, should I have called, you know, the police? Should I have, but that, you know, my dad wasn't necessarily physical. I mean, he was kind of, but mostly he was verbally abusive. And today in America, that would be absolutely not tolerated. Not, not in Italy either, but it was a while ago. And um, somehow I survived and somehow I did my whole journey anyway. So I wouldn't change a thing now. But to my 13-year-old self, I would say, don't listen to a word he says. Just don't believe a word he says. He's not well. He's got some problems. Don't yeah. listen. Don't believe it. Um, as an Italian in LA, what's your favorite, <laughs> what's your favorite thing about LA or America in general? There are so many things. You guys don't realize how exciting it is to live here. I mean, there is an open-mindedness that we can only dream of in Italy. And there's a, a beginner's mind, you know, like a willingness to try, a willingness to... Uh, it's easy to try. It's easy to, if you fall, it's easy to come back. Um, there's an openness here. Um, I don't know if it's geographic. I don't know if it's because it's a young culture or maybe because a lot of, I don't know. I don't know what it is exactly, but there is some humus for creativity here that I did not find back at home, even though it's the most beautiful place in the universe. And I love going back. You guys know I go back as much as I can for as long as I can. But I would have not flowered there. Yes. I would have become really depressed. We always laugh about that. Um, how when you're there, you'll see. You always laugh about what? About how, you, how if you, you go to Italy and you'll see some casual, some people casually out for a bike ride there in the outfits, they've got the bikes, they've got the gear. There's no such thing as just hopping on your bike with a t-shirt and cut off jeans. It's like, if you're going to do the thing, you got to have all the things and you got to be an expert or look like you're an expert. And that's like look so like anathema to the American is like, eh, just try it. Just go we're out. We're relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. Much, are much more like whatever. Do what well, you know, everybody is really hard on you. Like everybody is really hard on in Italy. On um, I don't know. Everybody feels they have they have a right to comment or to you know be sarcastic. Sarcasm is really big in Italy, and uh, it's really funny too. I mean, I crack up from morning yeah. till night when I'm there because they're so outrageously funny. But they're always like biting at each other's. You know, there's no censoring opinions like if I have an opinion about what you're wearing or how you look oh, or what we, no like mystery it, no it's like people it's just feel free to share 
and it's yeah. like, oh, okay, wow. That's, yeah. that's, that's different. Exactly. exactly. Do you have, before we open it up to questions, do you have any funny um, thing that's happened to you, do, like a misunderstanding with cultural differences from like being here? Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, so many. Let me think like right now. Um, well, I, especially at the beginning, when I first got here, um, I could not, like when we had dinner, when somebody invited you to dinner, first of all, I realized that I was always late because if somebody said 7 p.m. Italian style, I would get there at eight. I mean, seven is just a general indication. You don't want to be the first at a party. You get there like an hour later. So I would get there an hour later. And um, if, if uh, somehow, the, you know, the dinner hadn't started yet, I, I noticed how, like, I have to say buon appetito. In Italy, yeah. you have to wait for everybody to be seated at the table. And when especially the lady of the house sits down, she will say... Buon appetito. And that's like, everybody starts eating then. And I would be desperate looking, desperately looking for somebody to say buon appetito to. And like, it just didn't happen. And it was really a problem for me. I would go, buon appetito. So I then ended up saying it to myself, like, buon appetito. Oh. I realized, wow, this is really important. I cannot eat without saying buon appetito. So it was, uh, yeah, it actually went on for some years. And um I think to the, till this day, if I possibly can have somebody say bon appetito, I, you have to say it. I'm like, that is hilarious. You have to say it. I do. And I, 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 I can't always do it. it. I cannot answer it. <laughs> yeah, I would love to know everybody's relationship to creativity. Like if, if anybody has a similar story and um, what is your relationship to your own creativity and how, how do you nurture it? And, you know, what circumstances make it, make it flower? And how important is it in your life? I think that's a great question. Um, I think, at least for me, it's been with in in having you teach me and talk with you more. Just that that the willingness to make mistakes and like I like I pointed out, you know, like even to the class before last time we were able to meet in person, that one drawing of yours where it's the portrait of you looking out and there's all the different other portraits and you said it was because you were so angry and you couldn't get it right. And you yeah. just kept doing stuff. And then what came out of it is this incredible piece. Thanks. So I love yeah, that. that was a giant mistake that a series of giant mistakes that painting. <laughs> and, but they are just, you know, I think cumulatively they're, that's, it, that's amazing. And then just allowing yourself to do any of this, the, the line, I'm finding the line overlaying stuff that you talk about and have us do mm -hmm. in class is so freeing because, you know, I come from that, like, oh, if you didn't get the line perfect, you got to go back and erase it and fix it. And it's just like, no, just keep going. Just, and it's, and I love the effect. I love that it actually looks more alive. Yes. My teacher calls them pentimenti. I'm not sure how in English you can translate that. Pentimenti. Pentimenti. Uh, um, let me see what the dictionary says. Uh, Carlo, or any of our Italian pentimenti, uh, I'm not sure. It's basically visible regrets. I would translate it like that. So pentimento is when you're sorry that something happened. 
Pentimento, a visible trace of earlier painting beneath a layer or layers of paint on a canvas. Okay, wow. so it's actually on very term. Specific to art. That's amazing. Yeah. Julia here says she's she's a cinematographer and she's still in search of what can free her creativity. Um, I, I'm more of a visual, but I mm. grew up with you cannot draw. Mm. So mm. there is a part of me that just wanna take a brush and start and then I start thinking, yeah, but I cannot draw. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's that that voice from like that when we're little, like you were saying, the words that go into our ears are magic and they end up having so much power. You know, that is a curse. A curse is literally, literally somebody who professes words that are negative to keep you in an enchantment. <laughs> so you cannot draw is a curse. So we each have to find our own way to break the spell it's possible I but it is a spell and it yes. is your spell and you have to break it hey julia so we we have a similar story i imagine if you're here and if you're a cinematographer i i am so happy to meet you interesting how much of our either parental programming or our self-programming we have to overcome just to be an artist or to even say yeah. we're an artist and how much i think there's a lot of imposter syndrome as well I've come to believe that we need a little bit of that voice too yeah. to stay real. Yeah, but but I don't have I don't think I have the balance, Sylvia. It's too much. It's too. It, you it, believe it? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm working on that. Yes. Um, I don't think it ever goes away. But the difference is that at some point you say, "Thanks for sharing." Yeah, I look like crap today. Thank you. And this piece of shit I just painted. At least I painted it. What did you do, nasty voice? There you, you go. didn't paint yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, and, and I, I like having the little affirmations on your paper. Oh, I have one. Everywhere. They're I everywhere, have one guys. by my desk, too. That's the same. That's like, you know, very smart. But I should probably do that. But then, no. I have a little book <laughs> that I am going to produce, meaning showing you. This is my little book. It is full of them. So wherever I open, there's an affirmation because I need to say myself these things. Do you want to hear this one? Yes. I moved from poverty thinking to prosperity thinking and my life and finances reflect this change, which is true. I receive positive phone calls and messages. Everyone loves me and loves to communicate with me. This is basically the opposite of what I think. <laughs> wow. It's the, uh, every, this, this what you're doing is creating your own lens. You're creating your own lens through which to see the world. And I think, and, it, and it yourself, works. your own work. And I think that is so important yes. because, you know, you can be looking at the same situation, the same room with the person in it. And you could think that person is lonely and sad, or that person is sitting, enjoying a contemplative moment, remembering something beautiful. And it's like, it's just how you look at it, that's not, you know, that's, that tells you what it is. You get to decide. Yeah, basically you're throwing positive enchantments because you've received curses. So now you're throwing your own good enchantments. Yeah. You're saying, I'm good. I'm creative. I mean, it took me a long time. Initially, I wouldn't even be able to say, you know, I'm an artist. I am, you know, I am productive. Like I would, yeah. this voice would say, what the fuck? are you saying it's not true and blah 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 but i you have to break through that wall until you start yeah. believing it because you have to morph your brain start yeah, thinking right, differently right. to become a different person right, well yeah. i know half the time when someone when someone says what do you do and i say i'm a writer 
there's days that I'm like, yeah, I'm a writer. And I'm like, so in that. And I'm so proud of that. And then there's days when I, someone asks and I, and I think I'm a writer, but because I'm dreading that next question is, well, have you written anything I've seen? You know? And then it's like, Oh, and then I just, and then it's imposter syndrome and I'm like off and like, Oh my God. I think it also helps to realize that like, this is really nice to share this because you realize that everybody has the same thing. Yeah. And so the ones that look like they don't, they're just somehow putting up with it better in a better way or hiding it or, yeah. you know, found a way to wrestle with their demons. But we all feel the same things. We all think that we're not good enough. We all feel yeah. we've never done enough and we're not, you know, um, but you need to be willing to look like an idiot. I think. Yeah. Um, well, and that's what your class gave me the most is just like, be willing to make mistakes, be willing to just right. have it suck. And, and, and it's okay. And You've like, done something. Yeah. Um, the director Kat Shea has a, a, she does a acting workshop for directors that she, and for writers that she teaches. That's basically the same thing. And it says dare to suck. And it's like, you I have love to, it. Yeah. And it was the, I, it was so freeing because otherwise I'm like, who am I? I'm in here with all these actors. I don't know. I don't have the craft they have. Who do I think I am trying to get up here? And, you know, cause it, you're a better writer and a better director if you've taken some acting classes, I think. And so, yes. you know, I went to try and I was, otherwise I would have been mortified, but she made it safe by just saying like, no, suck, do it. Suck. I dare you. Come on. That is the magic key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The beauty of giving yourself permission to play and make mistakes, I think is, is such a gift and, which you know, applies to like basically everything, you know, just yes. go for it. Just, this is what I've learned now is that it doesn't really matter. Just go for it, whatever it is. And it is what it is. It will be whatever it's going to be. It's either going to be, you know, a masterpiece or it's going to be shit. It doesn't matter. It's done. You yeah. did it. Absolutely. I think right. that's valuable in any area. Like, you know, I went through some scary business stuff uh, a year or so ago and and I was just getting really like, I was going to get an ulcer. Like I was so upset about it. And so like, and then I finally kept this voice kept chiming in and going, even this is just a game. Like, exactly. Just you have to jump game. in in order to be in the game. You you know, it's, you have to, it, it's a risk and, and you have to go for it. This yeah. I know it doesn't shut up the little voice in the head, but, 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 you know, my, my intellect says, just get in, just do it. Just jump in. Yeah. Whatever well, that is, even if it, it means take it less yeah. seriously. And right. Just, it's going to go how it's going to go. It's not right. the end of the world. It might not go the way I want it. The truth is, I mean, everybody in this group has lived enough to see that it, it's going to be okay. Right. Like, I was truly afraid that the world would, you know, the earth would open under my, I had the most abstract fears or that I would be homeless or, you know, none of the, our fears are almost never fulfilled. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point too, is the things that we fear make it so much worse than the actual reality. And even when something really dreadful and sad happens, we, it always happens when we can deal with it. We can deal with it. Yeah. Trust your own power. You have what you, what it takes to get through it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Unless you have any last sort of words of inspiration you want to share with us. I just wanted to thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Heidi. I, I had no idea um, what we would be talking about. And 
I really didn't want to do it because I felt like, like how, what can I possibly say? Well, you know, so, but I, you know, thank you for making me do it. And uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank, no, you for, thank you for accepting my invitation. <laughs> this is the, every, when I sat down to do this, I was like, I want, I just need to listen. Like who inspires me? Like who of my friends? Thank you. Thank you so much. No, I, I, you know, you know, I mean that in a, in a good way. It's not, it's not about you. It's about me always feeling like, wow, I'm not enough and it's not gonna, but um, I don't know, just, just, I think on an ending note, um, there's always something good to gain from sharing some truth about yourself, whatever it is, if it's a painting, if it's a photo, a story, someone is going to get something out of it that you cannot control and you don't even maybe know. And that's why it's always a good thing to show up to the page, to the right. camera, yeah. to the book. Join us next time for Hearthside Salons. After a question arose in our April 7th salon regarding how ancient plagues changed storytelling, we decided this was a topic worth digging into more deeply. Our ancient plague specialist, archeologist Sarah Yeomans, is joined by historian and writer Rob Latimer as they examine how story changed in the wake of past pandemics and what might happen after COVID-19. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept to pages writing courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, check out pagecraftwriting.com. I'm Heidi from Pagecraft. Thanks for listening and stay well.